Compassion for God and compassion for our neighbor. Reaching our region and beyond with the life-changing message of Jesus Christ. This is Crosswinds Church. And now, here's Pastor Kurt Truxas. All right, kids. Uh, see Pastor Stephen. He has his hand up in the back. Time to go. We have some adult stuff to talk about today, guys. And parents, I am trying to save you from those embarrassing lunch conversations. What was he talking about, Mommy? So, well, as they are going, I, I just want to say if you're new, and I see there's a number of new people today, it is great to have you guys, uh, great to have you part of the Crosswinds family and, and joining us here for worship. Um, as a church, we are studying through the book of Genesis, and today we come to Genesis 19. Genesis 19, boy, there's a lot of kids in here. Like, I lost half the congregation. Uh, Genesis 19 is talking about Sodom and Gomorrah. And this is one of those days where Jesus throws a bunch of hot and flaming road tar and a bunch of flagrant homosexuals, so they all burn alive. So um, all the people who are into politically correct stuff are going to get really offended today. I'm sorry, because the homosexuals are going to get burned, literally. Uh, not just that, but this is what I call an NC-17 sermon. I usually don't put a rating system on a sermon, but uh, sometimes it's like a movie. You have to put a rating on it, and this is an NC-17 one. And I'm not going to do anything weird. All I'm going to do is simply read the text of Scripture, and we're going to apply the text of Scripture. And what has often happened is when you get to this chapter... Most pastors and churches, is they water it down and they, they dumb it down and you totally miss what is going on here. But if you understand what is going on here, you will never forget it and you will understand it. Here at Crosswinds, we don't water things down. We just let the text do the talking and that is exactly what we're going to be doing this morning, which is why the kids are out of the room. A couple other things to tell you. Um, oh, yeah. Some people will, t if you read uh, writings on the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, what oftentimes you hear is they say, well, this is just a story, that this isn't something that actually happened. You know, it's sort of like a movie, like an action movie where there's all kinds of strange things that go on, but it's just fantasy, not reality. That's not true. The reason I know what we're going to talk about actually happened <clears throat> is when you go to the New Testament you find Jesus talks about Sodom and Gomorrah again and again. Jesus says it is something that literally happened, where God destroyed entire cities with flaming tar, burning them alive because of their wickedness. You want to know where we find this stuff? If you're taking notes, write some of these verses down. Matthew chapter 10, verses 14 through 15. Matthew chapter 11, verses 23 through 24. Luke chapter 17, verses 28 through 32. Um, it's all over the place. Another thing to tell you, as you often hear Christians say, well, I'm a Christian, but I'm not the hellfire and brimstone kind of Christian. I just want to let the cat out of the bag on you guys, by the way. If you're a Christian, you are a hellfire and brimstone Christian. There's like just no option on this because... What we find out is Jesus talks about judgment all the time. In fact, Jesus talks about coming back and judging the earth. Like, He is either your Savior or He is your judge. Like, there is no middle ground. 
In fact, what the Bible says we should do is look at Sodom and Gomorrah and understand that is a preview of judgment to come. It's literally what it says. Let me just show you where it says. It's right in the notes here in the top of your notes. I wrote it down for you. Luke chapter 17, 28 through 30. It says, Likewise, just as it was in the days of Lot, they were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and buying. But on the day when Lot went out of Sodom, fire and sulfur rained down from heaven and destroyed them all. So it will be on the day when the Son of Man is revealed. This is a preview of final judgment. So let's go ahead and put our finger in the text at Genesis chapter 19, verse 1. By the way, guys, this is an abnormally long and thick sermon, but this is an abnormally rich text. A lot of important stuff for us to engage with this morning. So let's begin. It says, The two angels came to Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. And when Lot saw them, he rose to meet them and bowed himself with his face to the earth. Last week in Genesis chapter 18, we saw that two angels and Jesus showed up at Abraham's doorstep. Abraham served them lunch. And remember, it was an all-you-can-eat gyro bar is literally what it was. And so what happened is, uh, after this long lunch, this late lunch, Jesus stayed behind to talk with Abraham. We looked at that conversation. Meantime, the two angels go down to Sodom to check the place out to see if the cry of their sin that has reached heaven is really as bad as they are hearing. Now I began thinking, well, how long does it take to go from Mamre, which is where Abraham lived, to Sodom, which is where they're going? And there's a little bit of discussion on this. Uh, since Sodom is no longer around, for obvious reasons, they're not exactly sure if it was on the north side of the Dead Sea or the south side of the Dead Sea. One would make it 20 miles away, the other would make it 40 miles away. So the deal is, these angels have been with Jesus, they had a really late and long lunch, so either these guys are track stars, and like they're sprinting the 20 to 40 miles to get there by evening, or they're doing that angel thing, you know, where they just like leave one place and uh, appear in the other place. I don't know. Could be either. But what we do know is this. These angels appear as men. You could not tell that they were any different. For a while, you had this book out there by this little kid called Is Heaven for Real? Is that the name of it? If Heaven is Real, I think it was. It was a yellow cover. And he talked about how angels have wings. And I'm like, dude, I'm sorry. Read Scripture. It says you couldn't tell the difference. They looked just like men. In fact, the writer of Hebrews says this in uh, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 2. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unaware. Genesis chapter 18, Genesis chapter 19. Abraham entertained angels at first unaware. Lot entertains angels unaware because they look just like human beings. So by the way, if you happen to see somebody new at church, show good hospitality. You may be taking an angel home for lunch. That's literally what the Scripture says. All right. What we notice here is all of a sudden, Lot, it says, is in the gate of the city. 
you need to understand what the gate of the city is. The gate of the city is a very important place to be. In the ancient world, uh, the cities had one gate, and the people who were prominent, the people who had influence of power, uh, they were at the city gate. And if you had a dispute, you went to the city gates to have those who were, the men who were there to make the decision for your disputes. But not just that. Those in the city gates actually acted as security. If you were a merchant and you traveled, or you were a group of people, you came to the city gate, and those who were the leaders or the men there, they sort of screened you and decided whether they would allow you into the city. It was sort of a safety thing. You know how you go through the airport, you go through a screener, and you decide if they're going to let you through? So the idea is Lot, and the people at the city gate, they make you take your shoes off and stand like this and decide whether they're going to let you through. Very important, very prominent position in the city. And I began wondering, Lot, how did you end up in such a prominent position in such a wicked and depraved city as Sodom? And if you don't think Sodom is bad, just hold on to your seat because it gets worse as we start to study it. And here's what happened. It started in Genesis chapter 13. That's where Abraham and Lot split and Lot chose, it says, to take the Jordan Valley, and it says he moved his tent near Sodom. Genesis chapter 14, it says he moved inside of Sodom. Genesis chapter 19, he is now a leader in the gates of Sodom. How did you get so far away from God? One small step at a time. Isn't that true? One small step at a time. One little compromise led to another little compromise, led to another. And all of a sudden, you look back. How did I get here? How did my life get so screwed up? One piece at a time. And this is exactly not just what happens to Lot, but isn't this what happens to us? You look back on your life and you say, where did I get here? Little steps, little steps. Here's my first point of application for you. Big compromise start with, starts with little compromises. Isn't that true? It's what happened to Lot. That's how he ended up in this dark and wicked city. It's what happens to us, how we end up in a dark and wicked place. The story continues. And Lot said, My lords, please turn aside to your servant's house and spend the night and wash your feet. Then you may rise up early and go on your way. And they said, no, we will spend the night in the town square. But he pressed them strongly. And so they turned aside to him and entered his house. And he made them a feast and baked unleavened bread, and they ate. So what we find is it seems like Lot is running a little bed and breakfast operation. He's at the city gates, and for some reason, instead of uh, these people approaching Lot, he runs up and approaches them, which is sort of weird because that's not the way it's supposed to happen. And instead of them bowing down to Lot, asking for entry, Lot bows that down to them and says, why don't you guys please, would you please, please come to my house? And the guys are like, no, we want to sleep in the city square, which was common because at that point, merchants would come into the city at night. They'd sleep in the city square and set up shop in the morning, and that's where they'd do their sales. And Lot's like, no. You are not sleeping in the city square. 
I insist you stay at my house. And if you didn't know it, you'd be like, Lot, why are you doing that? Why are you so insisting that they stay at your house? But we know why Lot is insisting they stay at our, his house. Not good in the city square. <clears throat> and it says literally that Lot pressed them strongly. The idea is Lot said he would not take no for an answer. You have to stay under protection of my roof. So they come in. Lot serves them dinner. By the way, just a little comment on the dinner to have some fun with this. It says it's a feast, but it has unleavened bread. Unleavened bread is like the quick stuff. You know, you just throw it, in to get, throw it in the oven. No chance for it to rise. It's a nice meal, but it's not a great meal. A great meal was last week in Genesis chapter 18, where Abraham got his wife involved, Sarah, you know, and she had a real feast. little note to self, guys, if you want to throw a good meal, get your wife involved, you know. Otherwise, you end up with unleavened bread, which is the Hebrew equivalent of Pop-Tarts. That's essentially what Lot served, Pop-Tarts to the guys. He's not a cook. Now, everything hits the fan. This is where you need to hold on, and we're just going to read the text. But before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both young and old, all the people to the very last man surrounded the house, and they called to Lot, Where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us so that we may know them. Now, when is this happening? Between dinner time and bedtime. All of the men of this city, absolutely no exceptions, come to Lot's house to know these guys. What does it mean to know them? That is a Hebrew euphemism to have sex. This is a gang homosexual rape is what they came. Every last man of Sodom. That's what the text says. Now for 2,000 years of church history, this has been exactly what the church has taught. But recently, you've had some people who are much more pro-homosexual, who would be what I call the politically correct group in our society, were saying, no, that's not really what it means. They just wanted to get to know them. They were upset that Lot was not sharing his visitors, and they couldn't get a chance to shake their hands. Now, I'm serious about this. There are theologians in the Presbyterian Church who are pushing the Presbyterian Church this way. I've read some of their books. There are theologians in the Lutheran Church who are pushing that denomination this way because they're trying to dumb down the whole homosexual agenda thing. And I'm like, dude, you guys are a bunch of granola. You are. You're fruits, nuts, and flakes. Honestly, this is exactly what it's meant for 2,000 years. This is a Hebrew euphemism for sex. This is a gang homosexual rape. Now, when you have parts of Scripture that you're not exactly sure what it means, the, what you need to do is you go to other parts of Scripture that explain previous parts of Scripture. That's, that's how you study the Bible. Like, what, what do other parts of Scripture say about Sodom and Gomorrah? There's a number of places the Scripture talks about it, but I just want to point out to you one. Jude chapter 7. It says this. 
just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality, that's one of the things they indulged in. Let me explain sexual immorality. That is the Greek word pornea. That is where we get our English word pornography. It is a junk drawer term referring to any kind of sexual expression or encounter outside of the marriage bond. It is premarital sex. It is extramarital sex. It is pornography. It is watching sex, whether that's be on the internet for people today or whether that would be live as it was in the ancient world. All of that. This is one of the sins of Sodom and Gomorrah that they were judged for, not because they didn't get a chance to shake hands. And it continues and says, and they pursued unnatural desire. In the Greek, it literally says they pursued wrong flesh desires. In other words, they had desires, it's talking about sexual immorality, and they had desires that were for the wrong flesh. What does that mean? Men are supposed to pursue women. Women are supposed to pursue men. You're pursuing the wrong flesh. It's men pursuing men. Women pursuing women. It is homosexuality. That's what they were known for, sexual morality and homosexuality. And that's what we're going to find today. It's, that, it's exactly what they were judged for. Last week, we saw that the angels had uh, agreed to look for just ten righteous men in this city. If you can find ten righteous men, I'll spare the whole place. Incidentally, the city uh, is in population size, scholars believe, between 1,000 and 2,000 people at this time. We're just looking for ten normal, straight, decent guys in this place. We're not finding any. How many guys went to the gang homosexual rape? Every last one. That's exactly what's going on. Now, this is going to take you something. Let me tell you something. This is going to really bend your mind, but you need to understand this. It says, the men that are there are both young and old. And I started to wonder, how young is young? That Hebrew word young refers to people that are elementary age, junior high age, and high school age. Young men are there. This is really sick. This is really weird. Elementary school kids running to be part of and to see the gang homosexual rape? I mean, I can't even imagine this. I have two boys. Can you, can you, can you even think of somebody saying, boys, hurry up, let's finish dinner. We don't want to be late for the gang rape downtown. I mean, that just, that just blows your mind away to even think about this. Some of you would say, well, is this against the law? Folks, this is the law in Sodom. Others of you would say, well, why don't you call the cops? The cops are there. They are participating in this. This is a sick, twisted, wicked, depraved place when every last man is there. This is what you need to know. Now, I began thinking about this. How do elementary age school boys, junior high age boys, find any of this kind of stuff even remotely enticing because it is sick and twisted and demented. 
I mean, any little boy knows that. They would run from it. Instead of running from it, they run to it. Why? Let me tell you something about the homosexual lifestyle. It's not like I'm interested in it, but being in ministry and having preached several sermons on this topic, I've had a chance to study it for a while. And what you need to know that in the homosexual lifestyle, older men, this is a very, very common practice, what they do is they get with young boys where they rape and sodomize them when they're in their sexually formative years to twist their orientation, to warp their orientation. This is exactly what is going on in Sodom. They've taken the young boys and the older men have raped them, have sodomized them, and twisted them. So the young boys are running to the gang rape instead of running from the gang rape. This is a sick and twisted place. You need to understand that. You know, I, well, I struggle in my mind to even wrap my mind around this a number of you understand this firsthand. Statistically, about one-third of uh, people have had some kind of, some kind of um, sexual abuse when they were children. And if some of you have had some extensive sexual abuse from an older grandpa or an uncle when you were a child, and I've counseled people over the years, and it has totally warped them and twisted them and messed up their whole view of themselves and their sexuality even into their adult years. But that is what is normal in Sodom. This is what's going on here, left and right. It is a bad and wicked place. It's ruined multiple generations. Now, some of you are saying, okay, Kurt, you can't tell me that all the guys there are homosexuals. <laughs> they would die out in a year. You know, like, there'd be no kids. That's right. Not all the guys there are homosexuals. Some of them are bisexual. Why do I get bisexual out of this? You're going to see that Lot has daughters. His daughters are engaged to men in the city. So they're obviously acting heterosexually. But how many men went to the gang homosexual rape? Every last one of them. What does that make them? Bisexual. I told you it's a weird and twisted place. Now, before you jump on these guys and say, you know, thank goodness we're not like that. Thank goodness Sodom is destroyed, it's dead and gone, and there's nobody like that anymore. Here's what you need to realize. If that town is between 1,000 and 2,000 people, and just say roughly half of them are men, that means there's 500 to 1,000 men that are going to this sick and twisted viewing. There is no physiological way that that many men could actively participate in this kind of sin. A number of the men are going not to participate, but to watch and be entertained by it. I would never do it, but I want to see it. Now, I know a number of you are saying, well, that's, that's weird. I mean, if, if you're being entertained by it, it's not as bad as doing it, but it's pretty close. At least we're not like that. Men, I want to talk to you. You ever heard of the Internet? Ever heard of pay-per-view? Ever heard of HBO? Ever heard of websites? Oh, I would never do that, but I'd download it. 
I'd watch it. I would see it. These are the very things that Sodom is destroyed for. And some of you are sweating in your, in your seat right now. This is God's call to repent. Because sexual sin is serious sin. Even if you're not doing it, but you're being entertained by sick and demented stuff. It's the very thing that Sodom is destroyed for. I kept asking myself, Lot, what is wrong with you, dude? Why in the world are you staying in this town? Where this is not the first time this has happened. You discover this is the regular happening in this town. Why are you living here? Why are you staying here? Why aren't you running from this sick and twisted place? And it occurred to me, you know why? Lot loves the glitz. He loves the glamour. He loves the riches of this town more than being holy before God and protecting his family and his children. He loves the glitz, the glamour, the riches more than being a man of holiness and protecting his children. Guys, I want to talk to you. You have to make a choice sometimes. What is more important? Success and money or being a man of integrity and holiness before God and being a faithful protector and father of your, for your children and your wife? You need to make a choice. This is the uh, second application point. Don't let the comforts of my culture, don't love the comforts of my culture more than holiness and protecting my family. Don't love the comforts of my culture more than holiness and protecting my family. The story continues. Lot went out to the man at the entrance and shut the door after him. And then he said, Well, I beg you, my brothers, don't act so wickedly. Behold, I have two daughters who have not known any man. Let me bring them out to you and do to them as you please. Only do nothing to these men, for they have come under the shelter of my roof. Okay, <laughs> this is getting weird. If there's a hero of the story, you'd think this is where the hero would show up, but the hero doesn't show up. <laughs> it's another sick and twisted, demented man that shows up. The first thing I noticed when I was reading this was he comes out to these guys and he calls them my brothers, or some translations call them my friends. I'm like, Lot, why are you calling these guys your friends? Why do you even want to hang out with these guys? These are not the guys that you should be going golfing with. These are not the kind of guys that you should be having coffee with down at the diner. These are the kind of guys you need to avoid and stay away from because they have no respect for you. They have no respect for your wife. They have no respect for your daughters, your sexuality. Get out of there. But you see, he doesn't. I thought about this. This is a great application point here. You know, like, be careful who I have as friends because I'm going to become just like them. Be careful who I have as my friends, because I'm going to become just like them. And this is exactly what we find has happened to Lot. He knows what is right. He knows what is wrong. But his whole idea of ethics and integrity and what is right and wrong has gone right down the toilet. Let me just skip the uh, 1 Corinthians 6 verse in the interest of time in your outlines. Let me just point this out to you. This is what I mean by his whole idea of ethics and integrity going down the tubes because he has spent so much time with wicked and nasty friends. He says, guys, homosexual gang rape is a wrong thing. So here, here's what we can do. Since homosexuality is wrong, here's my daughters. 
take them instead. I'm like, what? Dude, I have a 13-year-old daughter. If you try to touch her, I will introduce you to my friends Smith and Wesson. I mean, no, no. But you see, he's gone so corrupted and twisted and warped in his mind. He's like, homosexuality is the wrong thing, but you could rape my daughters instead. I'm like, no. The answer should be, you don't touch anybody in my family or anybody in my home unless it's over my dead body. Because I'm going to protect all of them. But he can't see this. He can't think clearly. You see, what he's done is he spent so much time around wicked and sinful people that his whole scale has slid. This is the fourth application point. The more I tolerate sin, the less sensitive I become to sin. Isn't that true? When he has been living in Sodom with nobody else who is there to, uh, to, to help him, to help him think clearly, and nobody else who's following God, his whole standards of right and wrong has just gone down and down and down and down. Folks, this is why we always say that as Christians, you cannot live alone. You need the church. You need the body of believers to be around you. You need others to be praying with you and praying for you. Because as iron sharpens iron, the Bible says, so one man sharpens another. And we become more holy and righteous. And we, work, we work together. Isolation doesn't work. It didn't work for Lot. For Lot. It won't work for you. Not only that... Uh, let me give you another example. If you want to see this in your life, think about television or think about movies and entertainment. You ever done that time where you've been watching television and you're no problem with it, then you're gone for it from the summer for a while, and you come back and you start looking at it, and all of a sudden all these emotional red flags are going off. You're like, oh, this is sick. This is weird. This is twisted. Why was I not feeling this way before? Well, it's because you became accustomed to sin. So you became desensitized to sin, but then you got away from it you see it fresh and new, you can see things that are wrong that you wouldn't do. The story continues. But they said, stand back. And they said, this fellow came to sojourn and has become the judge. Now we will deal worse with you than with them. Then they pressed hard against the man Lot and drew near to break down the door. But the men reached out their hands and brought Lot into the house with them and shut the door. And they struck with blindness the men who were at the entrance of the door, both great and small, and so that they wore themselves out, groping for the door. Scary situation. Lot's given two options. Okay, you either bring these guys out so we can gang rape them, or we rape you worse than we're going to ever rape them. Then we're going to go through the door and rape them anyway. Those are your options. Lot doesn't pray. He doesn't turn to God. We don't see any of that in Lot's life, by the way. But even though he doesn't turn to God in these moments, at least not recorded in Scripture, God still comes in gracious rescue to him. The angels reach out, drag him back in, bolt the door, and then they, if you didn't know they're angels before, they start to reveal their true identity. Because what it says is that God, or they get blinded by light. Not the uh, angels, but... He blinds the men who are at the entrance of the door. Now, this is interesting. In the Hebrew, that blindness literally means dazzled by light. How many of you guys have ever seen the movie uh, Men in Black? Men in Black, yeah. Men in Black guys, okay. You know what they have, that little flashy thing? 
you know, okay, put the glasses on, look at the flashy thing, and then everybody forgets everything. Well, this is like the flash comes on. But they don't forget everything. They just can't see anything afterwards from the brightness and blindingness of the light. And I want you to picture this situation because I find this comic. You've got all these guys who've been pressing into the door to gang rape these visitors. All of a sudden, they can't see anymore. And everybody else is grabbing each other trying to get in. What do you think it breaks out into at that moment? Like a fight. Somebody's going to get raped, and they're all guys are all going, it ain't going to be me. So they're all just swinging at each other, <laughs> like just trying to get away. I can't see what they're doing. <laughs> they're groping everywhere trying to find the door. But is, this is, I mean, I find it hilarious. We've got a street fight going on. The men said to Lot, have you anyone else here, sons-in-law, sons, daughters, or anyone you have in the city, bring them out of the place, for we're about to destroy this place. Because the outcry against its people has become great before the Lord, and the Lord has sent us to destroy it. So Lot went out and said to his sons-in-law, who were to marry his daughters, Up, get out of this place, for the Lord is about to destroy the city. But he seemed to his sons-in-laws to be jesting. In other words, to be just joking around. A couple thoughts here. At the beginning, we see that these men say, we are going to judge this city. This place is going to get completely destroyed. Some of you don't like the idea of God's judgment. You say, how could God do that? How could God be so mean to judge people? Folks, think about this. God has been patient with the Sodomites for a very long time, giving them opportunities again and again to repent. It says the cry of this city has gone up to heaven. You know what I think that cry is? I think that cry is every merchant who comes into that city at night to go sell their wares in the morning. They come in with their family, and they're trying to eke out a living, and then they come in during the night, they sit in the city square, and they are gang-raped and sodomized by the people of this city. You know what I think the cry is? The cry is of all the young boys who are sodomized and abused by older men. Every last one of the men in this city are this way. They were looking for just ten righteous. You found nobody. Even Lot himself is not righteous. He offered up his daughters for gang rape. Do you think God like, has a right to destroy this city? I think so. You would do the same. You have a house. It's precious. It's important to you. <laughs> Say you have termites in the house. What do you do? You bug bomb it. You nuke every last one of those bugs, right? Because if one gets through, it's just going to be a few years, and they're going to multiply, they're going to be back, and they're going to go right back to destroying your house and your home. If one of these guys gets through... They're going to do what to somebody else they meet? Continue to rape, to sodomize, and to abuse them. So God's like, we're doing like a major like tar and fire bug bomb and just nuking these guys out. That's sort of what happens. It's judgment. And what you need to understand is God's judgments are always fair. It's God's grace through Jesus that is unfair. God's judgments are always fair. In fact, you think about this, you're like, God, why did you wait so long? 
Why did you let so many people suffer? Why did you not, why did you give them so many opportunities to repent? You see, when you, you see what the text, what it actually is, all of a sudden it takes on a whole different meaning, doesn't it? What is unfair is Jesus. Because just like Sodom, there is nobody righteous. Nobody righteous in this room. Each one of us is sinful and wicked. And there's things, if we could just take it in our life and put it on the big screens right there, you would die if people knew things that are inside your heart and your life. Every one of us is that way. But what is unfair is Jesus has died for our sins. He's died in our place, and He's adopted us into His family and called us His own sons and daughters. That's what we don't deserve. Another thing I've noticed in here, <laughs> Lot's son-in-laws are laughing at him. Like, you think God's going to judge us? You think anything's going to happen to us? Ha, yeah, right. You run. I'll stay. And I thought to myself, why don't they listen to him? Why don't they just simply respect him? Even if they don't agree with him, why don't they just at least go with him? And then it just occurred to me, and this is a little bit reading into the text. Give me that. I don't think Lot has really had any conversations with his sons-in-laws about God, about sin, about holiness, about judgment. I don't think he's had any of those before. This is like the first time he brings it up, and so nobody takes him seriously. They're already engaged to his daughters. Folks, if you have a daughter and she brings home a man, what is the first conversation you have? Where are they at with Jesus Christ? Where are they at with purity? Where are they at with holiness? And why is that the first conversation, not the last conversation? Because the first conversations are the ones and the things that are matter to your heart and matter to your life. When you wait to the last conversation, like before they get engaged, they don't think it matters much to you. You have these kind of conversations first. I don't think he had those. I just don't. Number six, have God conversations early in a relationship or people won't take you seriously. Have God conversations early in those relationships or people won't take you seriously because what's important to you is what you talk about first. It continues. And as morning dawned, the angels urged Lot, saying, Up! Take your wife and your two daughters who are here, lest you be swept away in the punishment of the city. But he lingered. So the men seized him and his wife and his two daughters by the hand, and the Lord being merciful to him, and they brought him out and set him outside the city. The rape, or attempted rape, occurred right after dinner. What time is it now? Breakfast. And he was told to go and run like after dinner. But what did Lot do? Apparently got a good night's rest. And maybe his wife made breakfast too. Like the fire alarm is going off. You know, ding, 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 ding. Fire, brimstone coming. Ding, 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 ding. Run for your life. It's coming. You know. Nobody else does. Run. And he's like, well, don't want to rush these things. You know, I better make sure I'm rested. It's going to be a long run. Like, dude, you've got no sense of urgency. No sense of obedience to God's Word. You have to be... You know, not procrastinate on these things. When God says, run for your life, you run for your life. 
And I began thinking to myself, why is he this way? Why is he this way? I mean, God tells Abraham to, like, uh, circumcise his household. <laughs> he circumcises himself and the entire household that very day. That's no fun. All Lot has to do is run for his life, and he takes a nap. Here's the sense. Like, Lot is not zealous to obey God's words, is he? He is not zealous to obey God's words. And many times, we are the same. We know what God would have us do. We've read it in His Word. You've heard it in a sermon from me or somebody else, and you know what the right thing is to do, but you say, you know what, I'll get around to it. Maybe later. I want to pray on it more. You know what the right thing is to do. Be zealous to obey God's Word, because before you know it, judgment is coming. A little application point. When God tells me to do something, don't procrastinate. Don't procrastinate. Get it done. It continues in verse 17. And they brought them out. Uh, one said, escape for your life. Don't look back or stop anywhere in the valley. Escape to the hills, lest you be swept away. Now get this. Lot said to them, Oh no, my lords. Behold, your servant has found favor in your sight, and you have shown me great kindness in saving my life. But I cannot escape to the hills. Apparently he's not a track star. Not good at running. Lest the disaster overtake me and I die. Behold, this city is near enough. Uh, to flee to, and it's a little one. Let me escape there. It is only a little one, and my life will be saved. And he said to him, Behold, I grant you this favor also, that I will not overthrow the city of which you have spoken. Escape there quickly, for I can do nothing till you arrive there. Therefore the name of the city was called Zor, which, by the way, in Hebrew means little. It's a small city. Now, this is interesting to me. When you study the cities of the Jordan Valley, you, we often know Sodom and Gomorrah. And those are the two infamous cities of the Jordan Valley, and they were known for their extreme sexual and social wickedness. But it's not just Sodom and Gomorrah. If you, we learned this in Genesis chapter 14 when we studied There's actually five cities of the valley which are known for their sexual and social wickedness. And their names are Sodom, Gomorrah, Adma, Zeboim, and Zor. The angels have told Lot, run from your sin. Run to the woods. Run to the hills. And what does he say? Oh, I can't do that. That would be too much hard work. I mean, that's uphill. Can I just run over here to Zor? It's a little city but it's also known as a little Sodom. All that Lot wants to do is downsize his sin, not to run from his sin. He just wants to downsize it. And we often do the exact same thing. You read the Scriptures, and the Scriptures talk about no sexual immorality no premarital sex. And I talk to couples and what they'll say is, well, you know, I've read that and I know that we shouldn't be living together and we shouldn't be sleeping together. So what we're going to do is we're not going to do it as often. We're going to downsize on our sexual sin. And like God says, no, you don't downsize on it. You run from it. 
I'd talk to people who say, you know what, I really shouldn't be watching that movie or that TV series, so I'm just not going to watch it as often. No, you don't downsize. You run from sin. That is what God says to do. And this cracks me up. I'm like, God, how patient you are with this guy. I would have nuked him a long time ago. The story continues. The sun had risen on the earth when Lot came to Zor. Then the Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah sulfur and fire from the Lord out of heaven. And he overthrew those cities of the valley and all the inhabitants of the cities and what grew on the ground. But Lot's wife, well, she was behind him. She looked back and became a pillar of salt. Some people have asked, you know, like, how did God destroy this place? Was it like a volcanic eruption or what was it? Well, I don't know. Here's my thoughts on it. We know from Genesis chapter 14 that this valley was filled with tar pits. Remember during that study that all the soldiers started falling in these big tar pits? So there's tar there. My guess is we've got some kind of volcanic eruption, which is obviously hot with molten lava, that sends the tar into the sky, lights it on fire, and it's sort of like a catapult. And this tar lands all over these cities, except for one, Zor. Now, let me just give you an idea. We learned in Genesis chapter 13, this used to be a lush valley. It was likened to paradise. It was likened to Eden. Let me show you what it looks like today. Do you have that picture? That is the valley where they were located at. It's dead. It's sulfurous. There is nothing left remaining there to this day. It's a bad, burned-up place as an eternal monument of what God had done for the destruction of those things. Now, one thing you need to understand is this was not a natural disaster in the sense that it happened by random chance. This was not just something that happened per se. This actually was God's hand of judgment. And the one who was in charge of it was Jesus Christ. John 5.22, it says, The Father has entrusted all judgment to the Son. You will either be saved by Jesus or you will be judged by Jesus. One or the other. That's what happens. The other thing in this text that really sort of threw me off for a while was Lot's wife. Remember she turns to the pillar of salt? Growing up, I was like you. I'm thinking, man, this is crazy. She's probably booking away, running for her life, and she was just, she saw the light in the background. She happened to turn and look, and bang, she got like sodium chloride in an instant. I thought, God, that was harsh, man. It was just probably a glance. And then I studied it this week. And I learned it wasn't just a glance. In fact, the Hebrew word for her look means look with intent to acquire. In other words, you're looking at something like, I have to have that. I want that. Not only that, but when you get to what is um, Luke chapter 17. Remember how I said when you have passages of Scripture you don't understand, you look at other passages of Scripture that talk about the same thing to shed some light? Luke chapter 17 sheds some light on what happened to Lot's wife. Let me show you. 
It says, On that day, let the one who is on the housetop with his goods in the house not come down to take them away. Don't bring your stuff with you. And likewise, let the one who is in the field not turn back. Don't go back and get your stuff. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it, and whoever loses his wife will keep it. Here's my guess. She leaves, and she's a heavy-laden woman because she is carrying all kinds of her stuff. Remember? That's what Sodom is known for, stuff. And she probably even turns around and goes back to get more stuff. Look with possession to acquire. I have to go get that. I forgot something in the kitchen that I can't live without. And she goes back, and she dies. Now, I don't know if God just supernaturally crystallized her. We know that this area of the Dead Sea is filled with salt. And, you know, maybe she was hit by tar and then covered with salt. But if you actually go today, you can find there is a monument or a salt crystal like this. Let me show, show it to him, guys. Um, this is called Lot's Wife right here. If you go to the, the biblical lands. What it is, it's a pillar of salt. And, that, you know, I don't know. Nobody's actually opened that thing up to find out if she's in there. Salt is a pretty good preservative. Maybe she is. Maybe she isn't. But this is actually talked about in the days of Jesus by Josephus, who says he has actually seen the pillar of salt, which was Lot's wife. So it's still there 2,000 years later. So here's the point. When God calls me to leave something, let it go. I cannot take my old life with me. I talk to people who are always saying this, I've become a Christian, but you know what? I really miss going to the bar on Friday nights. I really just keep wanting to go there. And I'm like, no, let it go. Run from your old life. When God calls you to save your life, don't keep going back. Don't take it with you. When God calls you to let go of your old friends, let go of your old friends and in faith find new friends if you have to. Last verse, section. And Abraham went early in the morning to the place where he had stood before the Lord and he looked down toward Sodom and Gomorrah and toward all the land of the valley. And he looked, and behold, the smoke of the land went up like the smoke of a furnace. So it was that when God destroyed the cities of the valley, God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities in which Lot had lived. Why was Lot saved? It wasn't because he was a good guy. It wasn't was because he was a righteous guy. He's the guy that offered up his daughters for gang rape. The reason he was saved was because of God's incredible mercy and in response to Uncle Abraham's prayer. That's the reason he was saved. My friends, God works the same way today. God saves people who don't deserve it completely out of His mercy. But the people He often chooses to save are the ones that we have brought to Him in prayer. He said, Lord, will You please save this person? Will You please save that person? They are far from You. They have wandered away from You. But will You go in and save their life?
Here's my challenge for you. One practical takeaway this week. On the front of your bulletin, I want you to do something. I want you to write the name of one person in your life who is in a similar situation like Lot was to Abraham. One person that maybe has wandered away from Jesus. Oh, one person who is far from Jesus, but they're in your life. And I want you to pray for them every day this week that God would draw them and that God would rescue them. And tell God He is free to use you in any way He needs to to be part of that saving grace in their life. As I close, let me just run through the applications. Number one, we saw that big compromises start with little compromises. That's how Lot ended up in the gates of Sodom. Number two, we saw don't love the comforts of the culture more than uh, my holiness and protecting my family. That's what Lot did. That's why he never left. Number three, be careful who I have as my friends because I will become like them. Lot had some wicked friends and he became just like them. The more I tolerate sin, the less sensitive I become to sin. That's why Lot was comfortably offing up his daughters for gang homosexual, gang heterosexual rape because he had slid Number five, God's judgment is always fair. When somebody says to you, I can't believe a good God would send all those good people to hell, it's like, no. What's unfair is Jesus Christ, God's grace through Jesus. Number six, have conversations early. Have God conversations early or people will never take you seriously. Number um, seven, when God tells me to do something, don't procrastinate. Number eight, don't downsize on my sin. Run from my sin. Number nine, when God calls me to leave something, let it go. I cannot take my old life with me like Lot's wife tried to do. And number 10, the only reason anybody is saved is God's undeserved grace. And that grace, it usually comes in response to the prayers of His people. Let us pray. Dear Jesus, a lot of stuff in this chapter. We're actually not done with it yet. I pray that we would really absorb this week how Lot had acculturated himself into a very sinful world, how his morality had slipped into the toilet because he didn't have any other friends who loved God who would, who would comfort him and encourage him and walk with him. Lord, we think about how Lot lingered and he procrastinated. I pray that we would not do that. Jesus, I ask especially that you would bring to name or to, to our heart the name of somebody that we can pray for, like Lot did for Abraham, that we would pray that you would rescue them and you would use us to do it. In Christ's name, amen. This has been a presentation of Crosswinds Church. More of Pastor Kurt's sermons can be found online at crosswinds.tv. Thanks for being with us, and may God continue to enrich your life.